Luke chapter 19. This is a sermon of praise. I read sermons at Bob Jones University when I started in 1970. They started us on a course of reading sermons. Now, I say that because I'm old. Back then, you didn't listen to sermons. There weren't many on recording. They were hard to record. Recordings were terrible. They were horrible to listen to. So they, you read sermons. The nice part about reading sermons, they've been doing sermons for a long time in print. So I could go back to 1600s, and here's some old boys preaching 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, you know, 1900s, and kind of get a, a feeling of the unity of God's people over God's Word. It's pretty amazing, really. I came by a, a sermon. There's been a lot of preaching over the Bible. I do not stand before you this morning and present anything unique because if it's, if it's unique, it's probably heresy. That's something else they taught us. Uh, if you preach something unique at this stage of the game, it's probably some heretical doctrine that you've just thought up because the Bible's been plowed front to back, side to side for coming up on 2,000 years. So the Holy Spirit, through his people, have really revealed what's in the book. There's no secret code. There's no second code. There's no hidden code. There is no, God is not trying to hide himself from you. I'll be honest with you. I, I, could, boy, I just got to be careful because I want to stop now and go through a whole deal why God's not hiding himself from you. Because atheists believe that God's hard to find. But that's because they're blind. But if you want to find God, more light gives more light. Less light gives less light. So an atheist doesn't want more light. They don't want to know about God or retain God in their knowledge because they don't want to have to answer to a supreme being, so they get less light. And they, they, they get doubt in the place of faith. But people who want to know God and want, want, to, want to know who made them and what created all this, who created all this, and what kind of mind created everything the Hubble telescope looks at, more light, some light gives more light, and that light gives more light. And the more you seek God, the more you'll find him. If, you know, the Bible, if you seek me early, seek me diligently, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. When you have some light, it gives more light. That's the principle of Scripture. And so um, this passage that I'm preaching on here is, oh, man, it's one of the more popular passages of all the Bible. Thousands, yea, thousands of men have preached and on this passage. None, none of them have completed it or, or represented it. I preached this message the first time, in 1998, six, uh, actually it was June 21st, 1998. How many were here? Okay, good. You can leave. Uh, I preached it again at Baptist uh, Temple of Key West in 1998. I preached this in London, England at Grace Baptist Church, uh, southern part of London in 01. I preached this again here at the Gospel in 03. How many were here in December 24th of 03? You remember you were here. Uh huh. Oh, you can go. Okay. And then today, I'm going to preach it to you again. Because this is, a, this is for me this morning. I'm a cook. Brother, brother Nick's a cook. Nick's a good cook. He's not a bad captain, but he's a good cook. But he cooks good. Everything Nick, if Nick invites you over, go. If Nick wants to cook some for you, you eat it because you're going to like it. When he got married, he had, he had all the shrimp you could eat, man. I'll tell you, that was phenomenal. But um, 
I'm a cook. I serve food up week after week. Some of the food is more for you than me. I've already digested eating it years earlier and found out the truths years earlier, but this never grows old for me. This, I've, since the election, I've been a little, I've been struggling a little bit. And I, I'm, I don't think it's over, by the way. I think it's far from over. I think there's a God in heaven that can change this thing, rip it upside down, flip it upside down for the sake of the babies, if nothing else. And I'm going to talk to you about him. I'm going to talk to you about this Savior we call Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 says, And when they had spoken thus, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he had come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. I've stood there, I've walked up that road, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, wherein you never, yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. If, if you don't believe Jesus is God, you ought, to just, you ought to just read the Bible because this is another indication of his deity. Nobody could know this. Nobody could know this. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? He even knew that there was going to be a guy come up there and respond like that. And he also knew that their response would be adequate for that guy to release his coal. And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the coal. And they set Jesus thereupon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. Why? Because the desire of all nations was come. And when he had come nigh, even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Three and a half years of people, of, of, of lame people being able to walk, of blind people without eyes being given a new set of eyes and being able to see, of deaf people that had never heard being able to hear of demoniac and demon-oppressed people and possessed people being freed as a gathering maniac and such. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him feed 5,000 men, not including the women and children, 4,000 men, not including the women and children, from just a few fish and a few pieces of bread. They had seen him in a horrible storm in the Sea of Galilee cry, Peace! Be still! And the water suddenly became the storm was over. They said, "What?" They saw to a place where they said, "What manner of man is this that the wind and waves obey him?" Now you know, as a fisherman, woo, the ocean. She's a she can be a mean girl. He controlled it. They saw all that, and they began to have a spell. That's what is not recorded here, but that's what is happening. They began to have they spread their clothes in the way. They began to get vocal. They couldn't hold it in anymore. They thought, mistakenly, that Jesus Christ was come to set up the kingdom. 
right there, right now. The triumphant entry into Jerusalem was a mistaken, and their, on their part, in some degree was mistaken on timing. He was come to destroy the power of darkness. He was come to destroy the, the demonic wickedness and their hold over this world. He was come to pay for the sins of mankind, and whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There was great victory in his entry, but it was not a political victory. The political victory is coming still and has not yet been manifested because Jesus Christ is coming again and he is going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he is going to rule this world with a rod of iron, and he is going to get rid of all conspiracy, duplicity, dishonesty, fraud, and the like. Won't that be a good day? You understood they were shouting about this. They thought this was happening. They thought the Roman Empire was getting ready to get overthrown. That's what they thought. Ah, oh, the horrible dictatorship of, of uh, the Roman Empire and the ruthlessness is just fixing to get overthrown because they had seen that he had control over all nature. Who can oppose someone who can make food out of a little few fish in a basket to feed 15,000 people? Who can oppose someone who walks on water? Who can oppose someone who stills the storm? Who can oppose someone who raises the dead? Nobody. He's coming to set himself up. They, he had told them. He had told them clearly, I'm going to Jerusalem, going to be betrayed of the religious leaders and things, and they're going to crucify me. But the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. But they were more thinking, I think the crowd didn't get all that. They saw him coming because it was an Old Testament prophecy that he's going to send his son riding upon an ass, a fold of an ass. And they thought, whoo, this is it. This is the moment. They were saying, because listen to what they said in verse 838, saying, blessed be the king, that's political, that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In other words, finally, once and for all, the wrongs are going to be righted. And some of the Pharisees, from among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Why would they be against that? Because it was their power that was going to be overthrown also. I love the answer. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I didn't know stones could talk. Well, there's a lot of things I don't know. And there's a whole lot of things that we didn't know just 100 years ago that we know today, amen? So don't sit there and say stones can't cry out. That's impossible. Well, you never thought there'd be cell phones. 100 years ago, if I took an iPhone back to those folks in the 1920s, and started, they'd say, what is that invisible deal that you're talking about? They'd go crazy about that. That's just in common things of man. And then this is, the, this is the key to it right here. In Matthew chapter 
we're going to switch over to Matthew chapter 21.10. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, this is a parallel passage. All the city was moved. All the city got moved. They heard this loud praising coming on. The king's coming. Hosanna in the highest. All the city went out. The question of the ages, since the wise men inquired with Herod the Great seeking the Messiah, has been, who is this? That's what they said. All the city was moved saying, who is this? Since the carpenters from Nazareth began healing all the sick and infirm, casting out demons, preaching the gospel to the poor and raising the dead to life, they cried, who is this? Since the 12-year-old boy asked questions of the PhDs in the temples, they've asked, who is this? Since a young Jewish layman stumped the PhDs in the temple with his answers, they've asked, who is this? Since a zealous young Galilean Jew took upon himself to drive out the crooked money changers that were in the temple, they've cried, who is this? Since an unlettered and unrecognized maverick challenged the tradition of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've cried, who is this? No voice can compass, no pen can include the full statement of Jesus' character. The world over, architects striving to build cathedrals worthy of him fall so far short. A sense of inadequacy falls upon musicians as they seek to compose a song that reflects his majesty and his humility. Sculptors seeking out quarries have never found marble white enough for his forehead. Orators whose words are as pictures fail to express but a meager offering of who he is. Poets and writers whose pens drop as honey from an overflowing honeycomb seek in vain to describe the character and the beauty of this person called Jesus. Scholars with all their mental wizardry and brilliance are confounded in attempting to search out his profundity. Jesus is the most wonderful of the wonderful. He's the precious of the precious, the most beautiful of the beautiful. His lips never spoke a word they shouldn't speak. His eyes never saw a scene that he should not have seen. His feet never took steps and took him places where they should not have gone. His hands never handled something or someone that they should not have handled. His mind never thought a thought that was out of place or improper. Popularity never caused his foot to hasten. Hostility never caused him to falter. Temptations never altered his moral character. As all the rivers gather to the ocean, so all the moral excellencies and spiritual virtues flow into Jesus. Even his enemies said they could find no fault in him. He challenged his enemies which, with which one of you convicteth me of sin in John 8, 46. God the Father found no blemish in him. And in Matthew 3, 17 said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In John 3, 31, it says, He, cometh, he that cometh from above is above all. In Colossians 1.19, it says, For it pleased the Father in him that all fullness should dwell. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, Who being the brightness of his glory 
and is the very express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down the right hand of the majesty on high. Romans 9, 5 says, Who are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. There's no doubt in the Bible, if you read the New Testament, King James Bible, that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He is the beauty of holiness, the altogether lovely one, the lily of the valley. His name is wonderful. I want to sing, but I'm not going to. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Branch, the Coming One, the Messiah, the Door, the Water of Life, the Bread of Life, the Word of God, the First and Last, the Alpha and the Omega, the Light of the World, the King of Glory, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior, the Lamb of God, Lord, God manifest in the flesh, Master, Rabbi, the King of the Jews. To the artist, Jesus is the one altogether lovely. To the architect, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, Jesus is the son of righteousness. To the baker, Jesus is the living bread. To the banker, he is the treasure of all treasures. To the biologist, Jesus is the life. To the builder, Jesus is the, is the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he is the door. To the doctor, he's a great physician. To the educator, he's a great teacher. To the engineer, he's the new and living way. To the farmer, there's a farmer I met back here. To the farmer, Jesus is the sower and the Lord of the harvest. To the florist, Jesus is the rose of Sharon. Oh. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the horticulturalist, he's the true vine. To the judge, he's the judge of all the earth. To the juror, he is a faithful and true witness. To the jeweler, he is a pearl of great price. To the lawyer, he's a fulfillment of the law. To the newspaper man, boy, that's about an old one, isn't it? To the newsman, he is the good tidings of great joy. To the philanthropist, he is the gift of God. To the preacher, he's the word of God. To the sculptor, he's a living stone. To the servant, he's a good master. To the student, he is the incarnate truth. To the statesman, he is the desire of all nations. To the soldier, he's the captain of their salvation. To the theologian, he is the author and finisher of our faith. To the one who toils, Jesus is the giver of rest. An anonymous author made striking comparison of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Socrates lived 40 years. Plato lived 50 years. Aristotle, 40. And then Jesus, in his pinnacle at least, only three did he teach. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by these 130 years of teaching of these most famous philosophers of all antiquity. Jesus painted no pictures. Some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, 
received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, yet Dante, Milton, and scores of others wrote great poet poems of inspiration about him. Jesus composed no music, yet Handel and Beethoven and Bach and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody with hymns and symphonies and oratorios. You didn't know I knew that word, did you? As they composed his, his, of his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by the human and the humble carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus. His unique contribution to the race of man is the salvation of souls. Philosophy could not accomplish that. Art could not accomplish it. Literature could not accomplish it. And music could not accomplish it. Only Jesus Christ can break the power of enslaving chains of sin and Satan. He alone can speak peace to the human heart like nothing else can, strengthen the weak, give life to those that are spiritually dead. If you're here today without Jesus, good news for you. You've come to the right one. The Lord Jesus can save you. How many in here this morning have been born from above by the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Jesus is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. To the saint, Jesus is the living God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Peter confessed to the identity of Jesus, he was confessing that from really for every born-again believer that was to follow. There was a scarlet thread that runs through the whole Bible. Uh, it's been compiled by a few different people, the few that I know of probably four or five, has probably been compiled by many, many more than that. They've read through the books of the Bible and found a testimony of the Lord Jesus in every one of the 66 books of the Bible. Pretty amazing. Uh, the scarlet thread. You know, Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible. He is the purpose of the Bible. He is the subject of the Bible. He is the author of the Bible. And he's a redeemer of the Bible. One theme that we know follows from front to back is redemption. Right off the back in the second and third chapter, men fell. You needed redemption. From that point on, it's a story of redemption. How does it end? Redemption. How does it begin? A fallen redemption. Prophecy is coming. Genesis 3.15. In Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. In Exodus, he's the I am that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. In Leviticus, he's the lamb that was offered once a year for the sin of the, of the people. In Numbers, he is that brazen serpent raised up that if you look on him, you'll live. It's interesting, medical profession picked that up because they were attacked with these serpents. They had, they had complained against God, and he sent serpents among them. Many of them were dying. And he told Moses, you take a, and make a brass serpent on a pole. And if you know medical, that's one of their signs, a brass serpent on a pole. Jesus referred to it in John chapter 12. He said, as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be raised. How did they get saved in the wilderness? They had to look on that brass serpent. How did they get saved? They had to look. Can you look? Can you look? Not talking just with your eyes. I'm talking about looking with a heart of faith. 
Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in his word, hallelujah. Look to Jesus now and live. Can you make it any easier? He raised that, he raised that brass serpent up in the wilderness, and everybody who got bit by one of those serpents could come to that and look at it. And the faith it took to come to it and to look at it was enough for God. And he said, I'll heal you if you do that. Jesus is like that, has been raised up in the wilderness of life. And he's the Savior of the world, the one whose blood propitiated your sins was enough to satisfy the justice of God for every sin ever committed. But the qualification of being saved is you must look. I'm amazed that people won't look to Jesus and live by simple childlike faith. But they won't. In Deuteronomy, he's considered the lawgiver. This is that this is that scarlet thread through the Bible. In Joshua, he's a captain of the Lord's host. In Judges, he's the great judge of all the earth, the deliverer. In Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he's the anointer of kings. In Kings, he's the king of Israel. In Chronicles, he's the great historian. In Ezra. He's the builder of the temple. And Nehemiah, he's the wall of protection about them. There's another song about that. And Esther, he's the savior of the people. And Job, he's our daysman, our go-between. In Psalms, there's one mediator between God, man, and the man, Christ Jesus. In Psalms, Jesus is the song of all the ages. In Proverbs, he's wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the conclusion of the matter. Uh, in Song of Solomon, Jesus is the great lover. Nobody loved you as much as Jesus. Nobody's ever cared for you like Jesus. I want to sing again. Nobody ever cared. In Isaiah 53 especially, he's a suffering servant. Who has believed our report, and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He should grow before us as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we desire him. In Jeremiah, he's a weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he's a street preacher. In Ezekiel, he's a true shepherd. In Daniel, he's a, he's a stone cut out without hands. In Hosea, he's a reconciling one. In Joel, he's the coming king. In Amos, He's a burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's a judge of Edom. Jonah, he's a merciful one. In Micah, he's the one born in Bethlehem. And Nahum, he's a judge of Israel's enemies. In Habakkuk, he's a God of, of justice. In Zephaniah, he's the day of the Lord. In Haggai, he's a rebuilder of the temple. In Zechariah, he's the king that should come in. And in Malachi, he's a rebuker of formalism. But that's not all. That's just the 39 books of the Old Testament. But in the books of the New Testament, you see that scarlet thread. In Matthew, he's considered the king. In Mark, he's considered the servant. In Luke, he's considered the son of man. In John, he's considered the son of God. In Acts, he's the risen Lord. In Romans, he's the justifier of sinners. In 1 Corinthians, he's the God of holiness. 2 Corinthians, he's the personal God. In Galatians, he's the end of the law. In Ephesians, he's head of the church. In Philippians, he's joy of our salvation. In Colossians, he's the creator. 
of all that is and all by him consists. In 1 Thessalonians, he's the coming Savior that is coming in flaming fire. You that are troubled, rest with us. Jesus Christ is coming in flaming fire. He's going to set the wrongs right. And your eyes will see it. In 2 Thessalonians, he's the conquering Savior. In 1 Timothy, he's the bishop of our souls. In Titus, he's the true elder. In 2 Timothy, he's sound doctrine. In Philemon, he's the forgiving master. In Hebrews, he's the great high priest. In James, he's the Savior that changes your life. In 1 Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In 2 Peter, he's the one coming to bring in the new heaven and the new earth. In 1 John, he's the word of life. In 2 John, he's the truth. In 3 John, he's the hospitable one. In Jude, the one who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. And then in Revelation, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The whole city was moved, crying, Who is this? The people that passed by the cross wagged their head. Who is this? The soldiers that crucified him, when they saw him die, they said, Who is this? The Pharisees, when the earthquake happened, when he gave up the ghost and said, Teletestai, it is finished. And the earthquake came and rent the rent the Holy of Holy curtain from top down to the bottom, opening the way unto the most holy place for you and for me. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now have access to the most holy place. Woo! Who is this? This is the God of all that is. This is the Savior of the world. He can be your Savior today. He wants to be your Lord, and He wants to be your Savior. Will you let Him take His rightful position in your life? Does your life reflect the amount of praise and service that He deserves? Who is this? Father, we thank You for a few minutes together we thank Thee that we have been able to review just a small portion of this one called Jesus. Uh, the, 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 the mo- the more, there's more left to come than what has we already know. There's more about Jesus. Oh, I'd like to saw more about Jesus. Would I know more of His love and person shall? I'm looking forward to the day when I can bow myself on that gold pavement and say, Jesus, you're Lord. All I'm, all I'm doing is, is, is I'm coming into harmony with what truth is all about. 
If you're here this morning and you have not recognized Him as the way, as the truth, and as a life, today is the day. Now is the time. There is no better time. There will be no better place to come to grips with who Jesus is in your life. If He becomes your Lord and Savior, then things are going to change in your life. Your focus is going to change. Your theme of your life is going to change. Your purpose of your life is going to change because when Christ comes in, He changes everything. Nothing can remain the same when Jesus comes. I hope you know Him. Someday if you miss Him, you're going to stand before Him at a thing called the great white throne judgment. You do not want to have to be there and answer for your own sin after he paid for it. What, what horror. You have to answer for our sin after he made the way for you to be saved. Don't do it. Don't miss him. Come to him. Look and live, my brother. Look to Jesus now and live. Father, save somebody today. Father, there could be some people in here that do not know for sure when they die they're going to heaven. Why would you want to go one more day without knowing that? When the Bible says, I've written these things on you that you may know you have eternal life. Help us to help them. Move, dear blessed Holy Spirit, and the Christians to trust in the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. And whatever comes down the tubes, we're just going to trust Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.